0: Let's pray. Father, we, we come before You, humble, as we know how, as we come before a mighty, all-infinite God, um, and as we open up Your Word, the Word that You've given to us to declare Yourself, to teach us how to have a relationship with You and to know more about who You are. And we pray, Lord God, that You would speak to our hearts We're oftentimes hardened in our heart and we need you to soften our hearts that we might know who you are, we might know your word, we might know how to live. Lord, so we ask you that you would change us, make us more like your son Jesus Christ and may your name be praised this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. You are the man was the indictment that Nathan the Prophet gave King David one day, long time ago. And for some of those who aren't very familiar with the story, that's not a positive thing. He wasn't saying, You're the man. He wasn't saying that you're awesome, David. No, he he was he was confronting David for a grievous sin that he had committed. Has has a phrase like that ever, ever been tossed your way? Has someone ever confronted you and given you a phrase like, you are the man, and the knife was driven in your heart? You know what that feeling is like. You can almost have compassion or be in the same shoes as David. You can feel it your heart drops from your chest down to your feet. Your continence physically even drops as the air comes out of your lungs. You know what feeling feeling I'm talking about? Not many of us can hide that, unless you're a prominent politician who's pretty well acquainted in the... Deception. But not many, of us, not many of us are like that. And if there are any politicians in the room, I'm not necessarily talking about you. <laughs> Just some that I've heard, you know. <laughs> you are the man or woman, was the declaration. Even in my own life, I can think back of, sad to say, several times in my life where those kinds of statements have been thrown at me. Mark, you're the man. The knife was plunged in. But let's not get too deep in my sin. Uh, let's go back to David where it's safe. The biblical sin. <laughs> Just kidding about that, if you didn't uh, catch that. that. That phrase came from 2 Samuel chapter 11. Actually, 2 Samuel chapter 12 What happened for Nathan, the prophet, to come up to David and say that to him? To accuse him of a sin that he committed? You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to briefly just go over what that description was. What the scenario was in David's life that caused this to occur. You see, it was about a year before. We've got to rewind just a year later to see what happened. David was at his palace. His men were at war, and he was supposed to be at war during this season of his life. But he was at his palace, and one evening he woke up, and he walked along the palace rooftop, and he saw a woman, and she was bathing. It was Bathsheba. He quickly got a messenger to go over to get Bathsheba, brought her to the palace, and David committed adultery with her sent her on back after she had done her cleansings. And it was over. Right? Wrong. Bathsheba sends word to David later. David, I'm pregnant
1: with your child.
0: David, not knowing what to do, instead of confessing, going to God... He does like what many of us do. We hide. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, who once, when they sinned, they hid from God, so David is hiding his sin. We cannot get away from the gaze of God. So, King David brings Uriah the Hittite, who was Bathsheba's husband, to him. Uriah was at war and he brought him in. And he told Uriah, go, spend time with your wife. Because he wanted to cover everything up. Uriah, in an amazing turn of events, shows more integrity than the man after God's own heart, who was King David. He says, King, I cannot do this. All All my comrades are in tents at war. The Ark of the Covenant is in a tent at war. How can I? Go and spend time with my wife underneath my roof when my comrades are at war. Well, Of course, Dave didn't like that answer. So he brings Uriah in and gets him drunk, hoping that, being intoxicated, he wouldn't think and go and be with his wife. In spite of being intoxicated, Uriah still holds to his principles, amazingly enough, and he stays outside the palace and does not see his wife. Well, what's he going to do? What's David going to do? What would you do in his situation? We can say, as Job's friends did, well, I would do this in your situation, Job, if I was in your shoes. Oh, but you're not in his shoes. What would you do? This is what David did. David sent Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, to the front of the lines, where the battle was most fierce, where the possibility of death was pretty certain. However long later, David gets word from Joab, the commander of the army, that Uriah the Hittite had died in battle. David was relieved until a year later. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan comes up to him and, t- and tells a, a story. Nathan says, there was a man, a poor man, who had a sheep. And raised this little sheep from birth It was a part of the family. The children loved him.
1: And there was another man, a rich man,
0: who had many sheep. And the rich man was ready to have a guest come to his house. But he didn't want to use one of his sheep out of the many that he had. And instead of using one of his sheep to kill and feast, he used, he took the poor man's sheep the only one that he had, the beloved lamb. David was outraged. This man should die, he says. He needs to pay fourfold for what he did. And at the right opportune time, Nathan the prophet says, David, you're the man.
1: He stood before Nathan, figuratively naked and vulnerable before him.
0: Have you ever been in a situation like that where you have sinned, you hide it, thinking that it will never come up again? Or you did it in secret so no one knew about it? but it comes around and finally catches up with you. There could be some of us, I mean, this is a big room, there could be some of us here today that are in that same kind of situation now. Now, maybe you didn't murder anyone like David, and maybe it's not adultery, maybe it is. Maybe you haven't been deceptful, deceitful,
1: but it might be something. And and I'm here to tell you, you are the man. You are the woman.
0: What do you do now? Can you feel it? Or have you felt it before, the weight of guilt that sits on your shoulders? (laughs) I felt it. Sometimes it's too much for me to bear and to hold. What do we do? What do we do with that? What did David do? And and that's what we want to do this morning. We want to look at David's life. David messed up royally.
1: But after that confrontation,
0: David took the right steps. Turn with me now, we'll spend the rest of the time in Psalm 51. If you're not very familiar with uh, working in your Bible, you can find Psalm 51 in the front of your Bible in the table of contents. It's separated in Old Testament and New Testament in the table of contents. If you work halfway down that list, you'll see Psalm. It's P S A L M. Not Psalm, but Psalms. The big number is the Psalm itself Psalm chapter 51, and the little numbers that you'll find in here, the verse. So when I say Psalm 51, verse 2, I'm, verse 2 is the little number. Psalm 51. And we get the background of this psalm right here in the ascription here at the very beginning. It says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. We're going to see a few things here. We're going to see three specific things of what David did in order to restore his relationship with God after sinning, after murdering someone. After committing adultery with his wife, after hiding,
1: deceiving,
0: it doesn't get any worse than what David did. We're going to see three things. One, David confessed his sin. Two, he asked for restoration. And three, he planned to praise God. Let's read chapter 51, verses 1 through 6 together. David says, Have mercy, oh have mercy on me, O oh God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. You see, the Psalms weren't meant for us just to analyze and look how emotionally unstable these guys were. You look at this, at least when I look at it, I'm like, these guys are crazy. They, they don't have it together at all. But then I have to think to myself, do I really have it together? How emotionally stable am I? But we have the Psalms as a blessing from God, to learn how to express our emotions to God himself. And particularly in this psalm here, this is a psalm that helps us to confess our sin to God, to restore our relationship once again with him. And so if there's anyone in here that you are in that situation, you are in David's kind of situation... You have sin on your shoulders. You feel the guilt that God has placed on you. And you're struggling. How do I restore that relationship? My my sin is so big. It's so great. This psalm is here to help you restore that relationship once again and that there is hope because we have a great God and forgiving God. For those of you in here that really aren't in that situation yet, you will be because you're a sinner. just wait a couple hours or a couple seconds, as you're thinking right now. So this psalm is here to help us. First of all, as we see from David's example, we first need to confess our sin to God. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. According to your great compassion. we all want mercy. When we commit sin in our lives, what do we want? We want mercy. Please. We need it. A lot of times we don't give mercy, but we want it. I know that's happened a lot in my life. David asked for mercy, and he bases it on God's unfailing love, his great compassion. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, do you realize how great God's compassion is? His love and willingness to forgive and to be merciful for the things that we do wrong, it is great. It is infinite. So infinite that He, as you know, gave up His Son... That we might have life. God died for us. That you could have life. What mercy. What unfailing love. What compassion. Oftentimes, we get in the rut of, God can't forgive me. He can't forgive me. Yes, he what, what does that statement say? And I've heard it before as I've talked to people. I talk to them about their sins He's like, you know, Mark, I just, I just can't be forgiven. There, there's no way. I've done so much. I am so bad. Really? Are you that bad? Well, you are.
1: But what does that do?
0: That shows that you don't know who God is. In what he's like, we have a God who is infinite in his compassion and love, who, whatever we might do, will forgive when we humble ourselves, and we'll get to that in a little bit, before him. Call out to God. Call out to God. Ask him to have mercy, he'll give you mercy it's there it's free it's infinite it's abundant it's in jesus christ where we find mercy and forgiveness will you call out to him there's other, there's three things we must recognize when we confess our sins we must first recognize that we have to recognize our individual sins Recognize your individual sins. In verse 3, it says this For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. We need to move from a general confession of our sin, Lord, forgive me my sin, to a specific confession of what we have done wrong. David knew exactly what his sins were, he knew specifics. And he confessed those things. We also, in confessing our sin to God, should move from, Lord, forgive me of all my sins, to, Lord, forgive me of my pride and arrogance. Lord, forgive me of my pride when at this situation, at that time, I said this to this person, showing my arrogance and pride. Lord, forgive me of my lying tongue, because when I spoke to my child, I said this, but... I really didn't mean that. And Lord, forgive me of my thoughts. When that lady came up to me that I don't really like, I put on my smile. But in my mind, I was thinking these kinds of things. Lord, when that woman walked past me, and my gaze stayed on her, my mind went, Lord, I confess these sins to you. We must be specific. Confess your sin. Recognize your particular sins. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just, forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So confess all known sins, specific sins. And those things that you don't know that you did, God will still wipe away and cleanse you That's crazy. That's wild. What a forgiving, compassionate God we have. To recognize who you've offended. Recognize who you've offended. Verse 4 it says this, Against you, you alone, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Who did David sin against? You might be thinking... He sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against Uriah, Uriah's family, sinned against the kingdom, sinned against... Yeah, you're right. But see, David recognizes who he really sinned against. He offended God. All of our sin, every time we have a wrong thought, every time we do a wrong deed, every time we gossip against someone else, every time whatever occurs, whether it's against someone or not, we offend God Himself. We first need to go to Him. Lord, I've sinned against You. You only have I sinned. Confess your specific sins. Recognize them. Recognize you've offended God. And in light of offending God Himself, we recognize the depths of our sin. In verse 5 and 6 it says, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Do you see what David's saying there? He's saying, from birth, conception, I was a sinner. That's where it all begins. Those of you who have children know that. We are not innocent when we come out. (laughs) Though they look so cute. We are not innocent. And in light and in face of the one that we offend, God Himself, we say like Isaiah the prophet, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Woe to me! Woe to me, I'm ruined! For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty... When we come face to face of who God is in light of our sin, we cannot but say, Woe to me, I am ruined, or I am undone. He is so holy, He is so perfect, He is so righteous, that we cannot stand before Him without confessing our sin. Recognize the depths of our sin and who we are in light of God. Even the testimony of Paul the Apostle in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, which we just uh, talked about last Sunday, Paul said this: "Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst." But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. There might be some of you in here that do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is an example to us all. If you're not very familiar with Paul, this is what he was like. He persecuted the church. He murdered Christians.
1: He blasphemed. He did all
0: sorts of evil things. Yet God, in his great compassion and mercy, saved him. And what does Paul say here? He saved him for an example for those who at this point do not believe to let you know there is hope. What's he saying? If God can save a sinner like Paul He most certainly can save someone like you. My, my call to you, my command to you is repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Make Him the Lord of your life. He will forgive your sins, give you a new nature, a new heart. You can have a relationship with God. The one who has great compassion. There's two approaches that we can take here. I'll give you an illustration of two men that I know. There's one man here. I'll just call him this one man over here, okay? Okay? To protect the uh, the guilty, and they're not they're not in this congregation, so don't worry about it. I'm not talking about you. Some of you look a little guilty. This gentleman I know over here. I'm not going to say he fell into sin because he didn't fall into sin. He allowed himself to get into it. He was a believer. He is a believer. He wasn't careful in what he was thinking. He got into pornography. Different uh, kinds of things like that. Make a long story short, he moves from looking at pornography to selling his body to men.
1: The other guy. This guy over
0: here was in ministry, had a 501c3 um, nonprofit organization helping children. And he was the most two faced person I've ever met in my life. You never would have known what was going on behind the scenes. Adultery. There's more things. Illegitimate children. There's two ways to go. Both men were confronted. This man over here, three of his best friends found out what had happened in his life. All of them moved, traveled from different parts of the country, Texas, Ohio, Pennsylvania, to meet up with this man. They met up with him in a diner. He came in, saw them, And he was disgusted of who he was. They confronted his sin in a
1: loving way. He
0: repented of his sin. Turned from what he was doing. He was married still. He still is married. Turned from his sin, got help, and is now back together with his wife. Praise God that she stayed with him. He confessed his sin like David. Oh Lord, have mercy on my soul, a sinner. We have a gentleman over here. Confronted with this sin. You are the man.
1: I don't know what you're talking
0: about. Hey, we we have this, 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 and this right here. Nah, it's all lies.
1: No repentance.
0: Two different kinds of paths. Eventually this guy did quasi-repent of his sin because his wife got in his face. So praise the Lord for good wives to stand up to sin in their husbands' lives. But I don't know where he is anymore. I have no clue. He went off the radar screen. There's two approaches, two ways to go. You can repent and be restored or you can hide, lie, deceive and allow the burden to keep on falling on your shoulders. Confess your sin. Two, ask for restoration. Ask for restoration. Restoration. There's three things that David asked for restoration in. Uh, First of all, it's restoration for inward purity. In verse uh, 7, he says this, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. In verse 10, it says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Lord, after you confess your sin, ask him to purify you. Lord, purify me. Cleanse me from within. You need inner purification. He uses terminology like, uh, clean, cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop was used oftentimes in the Old Testament for cleansing purposes. It was a ritual that they did, and they used hyssop uh, during the Exodus. They wiped the blood over the doorpost to cleanse the house and to protect them from the uh, angel of death that came through. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Lord, I need inner purification. Ask him for inward purity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. When he asked for a steadfast spirit, Lord, give me a willingness to pursue after You. Lord, make me strong. I need You to do this. I can't purify myself. I need You, O oh God, to purify me within and to make me new, renew me again, Lord. We need it. We also need restoration of our joy in the Lord. Call out to God. Lord, restore my joy. Verse 8 says this. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You know it just as well as I do. When we sin, we lose our joy. That's what happens. When we sin, we lose our joy. We get our focus off God, get it on ourselves. That's why we sin in the first place. Joy is only found in being right with God, loving Him, and showing our love through our obedience to Him. That is where joy is found. It's in God, to be satisfied in Him and Him alone, not in ourselves. Not in gratifying our own sinful desires and inclinations. But let combat that and pursue after Him. Lord, please restore the joy of my salvation. I need that, Lord, and I need you to do it. Also, restore, you need restoration of your sense of God's presence and power in your life. Verse nine: Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Verse eleven: Do not cast me from your your presence, or take your holy spirit from me. David here, David here wants God's face to turn away from his sin. He's not saying, "Lord, overlook my sin." He's not saying, Lord, I did this, but just forget about that. He wants the Lord to look away and to remove that from his account. But he also, in the same breath, wants to be in his presence. Do not cast me from your presence. It is good. It is good. Young men and young women... To be in the presence of God. It is good. Middle young women and young men. To be in the presence of God. It is good. Those who are older than them. To be in the presence of God. To have his face shine before you. It is a good thing. For God to be watching over you. That his blessing comes over you. We want to be in God's presence. Do you want to be in God's presence? If you don't want to be in God's presence, that might tell you a little bit about your own self. Is there something that you need to confess before him? And let me make mention, or take your Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament, the work of the Holy Spirit isn't the same as it is now presently. Where if we, do now, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we now have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. Where in the Old Testament, they didn't have that kind of teaching. Where the Spirit was with them in some sense, but would leave and things like that. This teaching right here, what David is talking about, with don't take your Holy Spirit from me, is similar to what happened to Saul. The Lord took the Holy Spirit from Saul, and he lost his kingship. In the same way, David does not want him to remove his Holy Spirit, that he might keep his kingship, and that he might continue on in the power of the Lord. So, God does not take, at this side of the cross, His Holy Spirit from us. If you're in Christ, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians chapter 1 says. Number three. So, we need to confess. You need to confess your sin. You need to ask for restoration. Three, plan to praise God. Plan to praise God. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. We need to speak about God's forgiveness. Once we've received it, we need to express it. For those in here who have a relationship with God have been forgiven of much. We need to share that with others. We need to share that we've been forgiven. The burden has been released. We need to encourage other believers around here of the greatness of his forgiveness. We also need to, verse 14 through 15, sing of God's grace. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. We need to sing of God's praise. We've been forgiven and we need to sing of it. We need to rejoice in it. God is righteous. He is good. And we need to sing of that wonderful grace that He's given us. And then we can continually go back to, Lord, I've messed up. Please forgive me. Also, we need to sacrifice. You need to sacrifice your life through humility. Verse 16 and 17, says this, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. There might be some of you in here that are in that situation where you have a burden of sin upon your shoulders and you say this, God can't forgive me. I can't do enough good things in order for Him to forgive me. Or, or you might be saying this, well, I'll just, I'll just keep on going to church. I'll just do this, this, and this. And, and God will forgive me. I'll give money to the poor. You know, those are good things. Those are good things for you to do. But what does God require of us? What does He want? Well, He wants us to do those things. But those actions don't do anything for us. He wants you to humble yourself before Him. What does He he ask for? Verse 17. A broken and contrite heart. Humble yourself before God. How do we confess our sins? We first have to humble ourselves. God wants a humble person coming to Him, kneeling before Him, confessing their sin. And for those in here that do not have a relationship with God, they don't call Jesus their Lord, they don't follow after Him, they haven't put their faith in His death to pay for their sin, they don't believe in His resurrection, You cannot do enough good things in order to attain salvation. You can't do it. You can't do it by coming to church. You can't do it by going out to Africa, helping those who are starving. You can't do it by going out digging wells for people that don't have clean running water. You can't do it by adopting a child from a needy family. You can't do it. No matter what good thing you do, you cannot get a relationship with God by doing good things. Children, just because you have parents that have a relationship with God does not mean that you have a relationship with God. Teens, just because you come to Wednesday night youth, Sunday school, does not mean you have a relationship with God. Those are good things. They don't get you in. What gets you in? What gets you a relationship with God? That you humble yourself before the Almighty God. You confess your sin to Him. You put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Make him the Lord of your life. Humble yourself as a little child. You will be saved. Today, you can be saved if you humble yourself. The burden of sin is on your shoulders right now, and you feel it. You want that release, you want that gone. What does God require of you? He requires you to humble yourself. Recognize that you can't do it in and of yourself. Recognize that you're wrong, and Jesus is Lord. You're not Lord recognize this, call upon Him, and you will be saved today. He will restore, you didn't have before, He will give you joy. He's not going to give you a perfect life. In fact, Jesus promises persecution to come your way. So what am I calling you to? I'm calling you to a hard life, but joy because you know the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to have real life. As Jesus called it, abundant life. He will put a fountain in you that will never stop ceasing. Just like the woman at the well. Lord, give me this water. This living water. What did he do? He pointed to himself. Here I am. Come to me. Come to me, All those who are weak and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Believer.
1: That command is still for
0: you. Not for salvation. But for restoration. Come to Jesus. Humble yourself before Him and come to Him. And lastly in verse... 18 and 19. We need to pray for communal prosperity. It says this, In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burn offerings delight, uh, to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. One thing Pastor Vance said, either last week or the week before last, that a church is fragile. Church is fragile. Churches break easy. Not the building, but us. We break. The one thing that he said that caused dissension or shattering in a church is false doctrine. We learned that from 1 Timothy. Another thing that calls division, separation, shattering in the church is unconfessed sin between or amongst the believers here. I want to let you know that your secret sins, your individual sins, don't just affect you. they affect us.
1: They affect me.
0: So I'm a little selfish, so stop it, okay? Because it's, it's impacting me. Okay? It is going to impact this church. We will shatter if you don't confess your sin. You are part of a body. If one member is suffering or sinning, the whole church suffers. If a piece of the lump is awful or bad, It affects the entire loaf. Confess your sin to God. Confess your sin to God. Ask for restoration. And plan to praise Him. Give Him praise. So you are the man or the woman.
1: What will you do today?
0: We have just a few minutes left. What I want to do is, though this might be a little awkward for some of us, I want to um, just take about 30 seconds. And, and I, want us, I want us all to contemplate our own lives. If there are sins in your life that are left unconfessed, those hidden things that you've done in darkness that you have not confessed to God that you have not asked for purification you need to do that today for those in here that don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ you can have that relationship today confess your sin before a holy God Confess that you do believe in Jesus, that He did die on the cross for you. He took your punishment and put your faith in Him. Make Him the Lord of your life. Tell Him, Lord, I want want You, Lord Jesus, to be Lord of my life, not me. Repent of your sin and turn to Him. You can do that today.